Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. As we finally start to head into the fall, many of the same challenges faced us that faced us in the summer and the spring. Of course, the public health crisis, the uncertainty about business, small and large, and the seemingly random start to school. I am Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and the longest running, over 30 years now, program on Carolina business policy and public affairs. Thank you for supporting this dialogue. In a moment, we start with our expert panel, and later on, he is the president and CEO of Geldwin, the major window and door manufacturer that is enjoying this explosive growth during housing and the DIY craze. Please stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Sarah Hazard from the South Carolina Manufacturers Alliance, Aaron Nelson of the Chamber for a Greater Chapel Hill Carborough, and special guest, Gary Michelle, President and CEO of Geldwen. And joining me safe distance, I might, I might say, is Sarah Hazard from the South Carolina Manufacturing Alliance, as well as Aaron Nelson from the Chapel Hill Carborough Chamber of Commerce. Lady, gentlemen, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Sarah, I, I, I got to start with you on this. There is this, there's this pretty big dichotomy that we've heard the past couple months around the idea that with this epic amount of unemployment and job seekers, uh, let me use that term, and then companies saying, you know, a year ago, we couldn't find good workers. Now we really can't find good workers. How, I guess the question is, how can that be if there are so many people looking for jobs and companies that need the talent? You know, you know the beginning of the outbreak of the pandemic, we obviously saw um, a, a freeze in hiring for a period of manufacturing in South Carolina. Um, but as the economy is, is coming back and um, returning to, to more stable levels, we are seeing that the companies are hiring again and they're having trouble finding workers. So you're absolutely right. You, know, you, you go around town and you see help wanted signs um, in lots of different businesses. And um, it is pretty remarkable given we've still got so many people that are on unemployment. Um, I think for a while it might've been, um, you know, the additional federal assistance that came down yeah. um, where employees were able to get an additional $600 per week. 
um, and unemployment benefits. And I think that there was some disincentive to continue looking for work during that time. Um, that did expire at the end of July. And um, now in South Carolina, uh, we actually just uh, reapplied for the, the new level of funding um, where employees that are on unemployment um, can qualify for an, an additional $300 per week in South Carolina and unemployment benefits. So that may still um, be having some of an impact on the situation, but, um, but we are seeing companies across the state that are starting to hire again and um, are really uh, working to seek to, to find employees to, to come into their businesses. Aaron, how do, you, how do you describe that same dynamic? I think we're seeing what uh, Sarah had mentioned also, there was some disincentive and folks were sitting at home uh, being compensated greater uh, through unemployment than they were at work. But today, it's, we're seeing a disconnect between worker skill and work opportunity. If you left your hospitality job, you're not working at the restaurant or cleaning rooms at a hotel, that does not mean that you are able uh, to take the jobs that are being hired for now. So we think a tremendous amount of work is going to have to be focused on reskilling and um, helping folks connect with uh, industries that are growing so quickly um, are different than the ones that were shrinking. And it wasn't easy to just slide over uh, from one job to the next. Uh, let, let me change. We've got a lot of information to get in a small, small amount of time. And I want to make sure that we hit these in, in schools now, schools in session. Uh, if you've seen one school opening, then you've seen one school opening. They all seem to be completely different. No matter what school system you're in, what part of the Carolinas you're in, there are different hybrid plans as much as difference in, in fingerprints. Is there, is there some dampening effect? And Sarah, let me, let me go back to you. Is there some dampening effect that this, this I don't want to call it a distraction because it minimizes it, but th do the, does the school plan reopening does that cause an even greater headwind for the expansion of business and or manufacturing and or anything else related? Certainly. I think that for families, um, you know, having to make adjustments based on what their school districts are, are offering for their students, um, it is um, having an impact on the businesses and on people being able to go back to work. Um, or even to, to seek um, employment. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do think that, that the school situation is, um, is having an impact. And we think it's gonna be short-term pinch. It is, it is un, unhappy at people's houses as they're uh, working on this and trying to balance all of it, but the long-term will be super painful. Uh, the impact we think this will have on, I don't wanna say a generation, but we'll see these six months of, of of difficulty in educating the children of our community. And if this goes on for months more, particularly in low wealth communities or children uh, that have had difficulty connecting. Um, when we take a look at the achievement gap, we think when we take a look at student performance, when we finally do test them at the end of 2022, I think we'll see that this was a, a period of time where uh, students who are not achieving well will be achieving um, worse and that we'll have a lot of work to do uh, when this is over to bring everybody back up to grade level. And, and not to diminish the idea of, as, as you just described it, Aaron, I'll call it educational attainment, not to diminish that, that there has been a lack of educational attainment, one of which we don't know yet. But, however, if, if all, you know, rising tide sinks all boats as well as rising all boats, isn't there some consideration, and not to get too uh, uh, way out here, is it, doesn't that have some consideration that everyone is facing the same thing with the same challenge? 
I don't think everybody's facing the same challenge. There are people who, there are children who in their own private bedroom with a brand new laptop with high speed internet take class. Uh, there are children who take class holding their five-year-old little sister uh, in their lap, trying to do it through a cell phone with four or five other people in the house. Yeah. And those are very different experiences. Um, I was spotty internet and inability to upload or stream. Um, and I think that we'll see those impacts will have, you know, we'll see those for a long time coming. Sarah, does that disparate challenge, as Aaron just described it, show up uh, for you all, for, for your colleagues, for your members? Yes, um, we are seeing that. We're hearing more and more about that. And I think Aaron hit the nail on the head that there are very different experiences for uh, children across our state and, um, and, and internet uh, you know, broadband issues um, to what their home lives are like and what their socioeconomic backgrounds are. And um, so, yes, we are, we are seeing that and we're hearing that as well. You know, the, the, go ahead, Aaron. I, I, didn't mean I was going to say, and so there'll be some immediate challenges, but the long term, when, you know, the, the third graders today who didn't learn terribly well how to read in third grade this way become eighth graders, become high school students. So I think we'll just see some of this, you know, Sarah's organization and her members and ours will see later. And I think we'll just have to keep in our head that there's an effort we're going to need to make 12 to 18 months from now to really try to remediate. Uh, some of the disparate education that folks experienced. Does the, you know, for, for a while there, the drumbeat of the last mile in broadband connectivity needed to happen. And I know that's still being talked about, but it, it's lost some momentum because it's lost some shine as being the most critical challenge. Do you, do you are, are you hopeful? Are you optimistic that this idea that fleshing out full access to every corner of both states will indeed happen and it won't fall between the cracks? I think it's gonna have to happen. We were taking a look at, uh, at, at connection disparities. Not only are there some counties where only 70% of the people or 60% of the people have access, but then within those counties, it may be that only 50% of people of color have access uh, to high-speed internet. And if you're taking high school from a McDonald's parking lot while holding your laptop, uh, trying to connect to somebody's Wi-Fi, that is uh, a, a disparity that should be unacceptable. And I think it'll have to be our business priority. Sarah, you know something about uh, public policy, it's certainly trained in it, but spent the last couple decades in it. Do you get the sense that the state house in South Carolina will follow through on the full funding for broadband to everyone? I think so. I think that this situation has put a spotlight on just the disparities in, in South Carolina and um, the availability for, for Wi-Fi access. And um, for, for so many reasons, we've, we've got to do it. And, and it, it, there is momentum in South Carolina um, to make that happen. So if you're a homeowner or a possible homeowner, or if you have anything to do with housing or construction, there is uh, quite a bit of business going on in and around that area. Joining us now is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Charlotte-based Geldwin, the maker of higher-end uh, doors and windows. Uh, joining us from safely from that uh, operation is the president and CEO, Gary Michelle. Gary, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Chris. Thank you so much for having me this morning. You know, back in March, Gary, when your executive team and you're looking across the, the enterprise and wondering what was going to happen with the, with the advent of COVID, would you have expected the explosion in DIY, home construction, home improvement to be as it's been over the last few months? 
Yeah, I think when we think back to, to what was going on in March, I think we were being very deliberate about our actions, about what might happen in a downturn. You know, the, the country was shutting down, the world was shutting down, quite frankly, as a global company. We were seeing what was happening in Europe, in, in Asia, and uh, we were expecting you know, a very similar, you know, kind of shutdown in, mm -hmm. in, in March. I, I, I'm not sure that we were really planning for, uh, for an explosion in home building or, 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 or home sales for that matter, and certainly not the, uh, the R&R or, or remodel and replace business. What we saw happen was, first of all, uh, businesses like ours uh, deemed essential, uh, any construction, construction material uh, uh, products businesses being deemed essential in most of the markets around the world, which really put us in a position of starting to think about how do we stay open? How do we operate with social distancing? How do we make sure that we keep our, our people, our associates safe and, health, and healthy um, and kind of keep them out of harm's way as we're trying to serve our customers and their needs? So we saw very early on um, our, our need to support our channel partners, our, our builder partners as they were deemed essential as well and kept building. And then uh, what we saw is people stayed home. They started to look at the projects around their house and make decisions. You know, I've been putting this off for a long time. I'm gonna go ahead and, and, and try to do some of these projects. And what we're seeing is a lot of remodeling happening. And now as people are figuring out how to have contractors in their home and do the work, we're seeing even more of that work uh, happening today. You know, you're an engineer, Gary. You, you think critically and think statistically. And there was an engineer that once said, the, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And I'm not saying that about Geldwin, but when you've got this kind of explosive growth in revenue, when you look year over year, of course, do you, is there some strategy that you're thinking about or putting in place to make sure that you don't get caught flat-footed next year or the next 18 months to say, well, we kind of, and to use an analogy, you know, the, the red was licked off this candy. Now, and now, going forward, we might have a different 2021 or 2022. How do you strategically plan for that kind of explosive growth? Well, yeah, I think if I told you that we had planned for a pandemic in 2020, you would probably uh, not believe me. Um, I don't think we had a playbook for this type of global pandemic, global shutdown, um, and then, you know, what happened afterwards. So I think we had to be pretty agile, um, really rely, and I'm proud of our team, you know, the way they thought about the way things change. One thing that happens when this type of uh, an event happens is you, you really focus on what's important. Uh, what's important for your associates, for how do you serve your customers, what might change. Um, you know, this whole idea of, you know, the ability to, to work remotely, but also to transact business remotely and digitally has become way more important to us. Um, you know, one of the things about the home sales that we've seen is certainly their home sales in North America happening at an accelerated pace. Um, you know, we hope that's not a sugar high and, and that it continues, but those actually have to turn into starts and ultimately completions, which, um, you know, will be more timed out. Uh, you know, over the next several quarters and certainly into next year, you know, based on labor availability, based on, uh, you know, when, when permits can be pulled and, that, and the like. So we expect to see that happen. It gives us some time to plan for that. But we're also looking at, you know, what are the trends um, that will happen in those homes that are being bought, as well as the trends in the repair and remodel market that we need to prepare for. So we're always looking for, you know, how to ensure that our capacity matches the demand that we see today and the demand that we might see from our channel partners 
uh, and builders uh, coming in, in, in next year. We're, we're going to give our panelists a chance to ask some questions here. Sarah, if you will, you want to start. Sure. Thanks, Gary, for being here. Um, you know, as we're watching the manufacturing industry, we know that it's going to be a major driver for you know, our nation's economic recovery. I'm curious to get your thoughts on what types of policies, whether at the state level or at the federal level, that you think the manufacturing industry is going to need to have the right business condition um, to be able to grow and thrive um, in the future years to come. Well, I think, thanks, it's a great question. I think it's been, um, it, it's been interesting to watch how, um, how everybody has kind of come to, uh, to looking at manufacturing again as, uh, as a really important backbone of, uh, uh, of the American economy, for sure. Um, what we've seen is, is, is communities come together, states and municipalities come together and think about what are essential businesses, what are important businesses, and, and how do we make sure that everybody in the supply chain is, is able to perform in kind of a new, a new environment, something we haven't seen before. Um, and, and that's been important to us to make sure that, you know, not only in our individual supply chain, but we're so reliant and so dependent on, on a numerous, uh, numerous industries that, you know, working with our local municipalities, which is where a lot of building uh, thought comes from, and the states that we, we play in, uh, certainly here in the United States has been important. We've seen um, allowances for obviously staying open um, at times when uh, when uh, other 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 venues are closed. We've uh, seen ways of, of making sure that transportation, uh, which is a key to to making sure that our products get to where they need to go, uh, have been allowed for. And quite frankly, some guidance. Um, although we've had to do a lot on our own. Uh, uh, some guidance on, um, um, on, on what, you know, what constitutes the minimum uh, and best practices for having a safe work environment uh, for our associates. So those are the types of areas that we've been looking at. Um, you know, the, 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 the states have been, 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 been fairly good about, about doing that for, for the most part and making sure that we're able to stay open uh, to supply our customers and keep business moving. Aaron? I wonder if you'd look out another, I don't know, 12 or 18 months, you know, folks can only renovate that bathroom one time. Um, are you seeing that they're doing the work now and that there's going to be um, a real slowdown for you in terms of uh, work that you're doing on repair and renovation? And what is your long-term perspective on uh, housing maybe uh, 12, 18 months from now? Yeah, so um, I think what's happened, what you're seeing is uh, right now is uh, there is a move from the city. So let's talk about the new, new piece first. I think you're seeing some, some interest in moving from cities and, and more uh, congested areas um, you know, into the suburbs and, and further out uh, where new communities tend to be being built. And that's where you're seeing new, new orders happen for housing. Um, you know, will that continue for a while? I guess it, we'll wait and see. You know, they, the, the thing about housing is it's always related to jobs and it's related to location. So how strong the job market is um, as employment starts to firm back up, where those jobs are usually determines obviously where housing, uh, housing is strong as well. So we'll be watching that. On the repair and remodel side of the business, really worldwide, R&R uh, tends to be a fairly stable, more stable piece of our business. It really doesn't cycle as much of residential new construction. There's always a, a certain number of, um, of projects that, that, that tend to happen. People do them 
uh, I won't say they do them on the clock, you know, every four or five years they do something, um, but it tends to, to work out to that. And uh, the net result is repair and remodel is much more, um, much more resilient and certainly a much more stable piece of the business. Gary, when it comes to something, in about 10 years ago or so, uh, DNI, diversity and inclusion, became more than a checkbox. Broadly adopted by many corporations, both public and private, small and large, and really put a stake in the ground, if you will, around inclusion and diversity. Um, and then 2020 happened, and certainly a tragic death of George Floyd, but then there became a more of a woke environment, and not to overuse that term, but the idea of inequity and equity both becoming to the, coming to the fore in these dialogues. So uh, when, you, when you look at Jeldwin specifically, you see that there's been a long-term commitment to corporate sustainability, but how has corporate sustainability and diversity inclusion now been renewed around this new idea that it is much more than just an, an, a division or a channel within a corporation? How do you make this uh, a living, breathing thing that really does embrace um, the idea of being a diverse and inclusive community. Listen, the the events of this summer, this spring, you know, have really woken up um, our communities, our people, and, and, and certainly our country. Um, you know, there are important events around George Floyd. You know, certainly sparked uh, a new, you know, as you mentioned. Uh, not only interest, but a desire to do something more than just speak about um, inclusion and more than uh, speak about equality. And all of us have a role to play that. For me, you know, it, 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 it may be sad and maybe angry at the same time that we hadn't moved further along in, uh, in these areas. You know, when I think about Jelwin, you know, what we've done is also just look inside. We've talked to our associates as well as the communities that we serve, you know, to really try to understand where where can we just you know, turn the words into action? What is it that we can do to really make a difference in inclusion, in equality, and certainly to stamp out racism? I mean, these are things that, that just we as a business, we as citizens in our community can, can affect. You know, we've come a long way, certainly within the company, but there is no, we, we have so far to go, just like you know, every other company I talk to, everybody else that, that I talk about that leads in the communities, there's so much more that we can do. We've made great strides, certainly, in what we do in hiring and developing and working in our communities. But, um, but there's so much more that we can do. We have to stop just talking about it at this point. We really need to turn those words into action. And that's what we hear the most. And that's really where we're spending our time. Mm -hmm. Sarah? I, I agree. I think we are seeing companies um, make this a priority. Um, and, and Gary's right. It's time to put words into action. and um really uh, focus on this and, and yeah. sir, sir we have about three minutes left do you have a question yes i do gary um you know you mentioned working remotely i'm curious um, with your workforce how have your folks been able to adjust to the ones that have, um, are, are continuing to work remotely and um you know facing issues like childcare and virtual learning and um, what impact that's had on your employees so, um, yeah, so we really, when, you know, we, we talked a few minutes ago, you know, we, we have a central operation, certainly keeping our factories operating has been um, uh, a little bit of a challenge and taking a little bit of creativity, but our primary concern there has been to keep, keep those in their own bubbles, if you will, so that we've kept travelers, you know, we've kept people from traveling in and out, 
we've made sure that those communities um, you know, stay as pure as possible. We obviously are doing health checks and health screens. We've done sanitations and, um, and making sure that our jobs are socially distanced there so that people feel safe at work, that they are safe at work, and that we don't introduce or cross-introduce uh, the virus anywhere there. So that's been important. As far as remote goes, I, I guess, um, you know, for somebody like me that's been working for quite a bit of time, um, this idea of remote work probably was not something that, uh, that came naturally. And uh, I've been very impressed with how our team has quickly adopted to, you know, using, using platforms like this to, uh, to have conferences and meet with customers, meet with suppliers, meet internally. Um, but I will say that the deliberate nature of our communications has probably been the key here at Gelwin. We become more deliberate about making sure that we, we speak with people, that we include people in our meetings and conversations. We reach out to people that, that maybe we haven't heard from in a while that you might bump into if we were in an office, but you don't naturally do that when you're away. We do have issues, um, you know, as kids have started to return to school, um, you know, we've, we've, our clock has changed, right? The, um, the, the times that we have meetings and the, uh, the way that we have meetings or, or even deadlines for things have changed quite a bit. And I think we've started to have to adapt to that. And we're, we're trying to make, be cognizant of the fact that people are playing multiple roles in their lives today that they might not have been playing uh, even six months ago. Mm -hmm. Gary, uh, thank you uh, for joining us. I wish we had more time. Aaron, I didn't give you a chance to do any more questions, but thank you also for joining us and staying safe in Chapel Hill. Sarah, always nice to, uh, to see you, but it was especially nice to have you on the program for the first time. So please come back. We hope you will. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you have any questions or comments or would like to watch this online again, you can at carolinabusinessreview.org. Until next week, I am Chris Woody. We hope you stay safe, that your business is good and uh, back to school. So thank you. Have a safe weekend. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.